Chapter Ten: Witcherite with Dead Confederates. Thermos! I screamed as he hurled toward the water. What? Annabeth must have thought I'd lost my mind. She was holding onto the boat straps for dear life, her hair flying straight up like a torch. But Tyson understood. He mashed open my duffel bag and took Hermes' magical thermos without losing his grip on it or the boat. Arrows and javelins whistled past us. I grabbed the thermos and hoped I was doing the right thing. Hang on! I am hanging on! Annabeth yelled. Tighter! I hooked my feet under the boat's inflatable bench. And as Tyson grabbed Annabeth and me by the backs of our shirts, I gave the thermos cap a quarter turn. Instantly, a white sheet of wind jetted out of the thermos and propelled us sideways, turning our downward plummet into a 45-degree crash landing. Like, the wind seemed to laugh as it shot from the thermos, like it was glad to be free. As with the ocean, we bumped once, twice, skipping like a stone. Then we were whizzing along like a speed boat, salt spray in our face, and nothing but sea ahead. I heard a wail of outrage from the ship behind us, but we were already out of weapon range. The Princess Andromeda faded to the size of a white toy boat in the distance, and then. It was gone. As we raced over the sea, Annabeth and I tried to send an Irish message to Kyra. We figured it was important we let somebody know how what Luke was doing, and we didn't know who else to trust. The wind from the thermos stirred up a nice sea spray that made a rainbow in the sunlight, perfect from. For an iris message, but our connection was so poor when Annabeth threw gold drachma into the mist and prayed for the rainbow gods to show us kindness. Face appeared alright, but there was some kind of weird strobe light flashing in the background and rock music blaring, like he was at a dance club. We told him about sneaking away from camp and looked at the Princess Andromeda. And the golden box where Kroners remained, but between the noise on his end and the rushing wind and water on our end, I'm not sure how much he heard. Percy, Kyron yelled, "You have to watch out for his voice is drowned out by loud shouting behind him, a bunch of voices whooping." Uh, up like Comanche warriors. What? I yelled. Curse my relatives, Kyron ducked as a plate flew over his head and shattered somewhere out of sight. Annabeth, you should have let Percy keep camp. But if you go get the fleet, yeah, baby! Someone behind Kyron yelled, Woohoo! The music got cranked up, subwoofers so loud it made our boat vibrate. Miami, Karen was yelling, I'll try to keep watch. Our missus screamed, smashed apart, 
like someone on the other side had thrown a bottle at it, and Karen was gone. An hour later, we spotted landing, a long stretch of beach lined with high-rise hotels. The water became crowded with fishing boats and tankers. A Coast Guard cruiser passed on our starboard side, then turned like it wanted a second look. I guess it isn't every day they see a yellow lifeboat with no engine going a hundred knots an hour, manned by three kids. That's Virginia Beach, Annabeth said as she approached the shoreline. Oh my God, how did the Princess Andromeda travel so far overnight? That's like 530 nautical miles, I said. She stared at me. How do you know that? I, I'm not sure. Ambit hot for a moment. Percy, what's her position? 36 degrees, 44 minutes north, 76 degrees, 2 minutes west. I said immediately. I shook my head. Whoa, how did I know that? Because of your dad, Ambit guessed. When you're the last perfect, perfect bearing. That is so cool. I wasn't sure about that. I didn't want to be a human GPS unit. But before I could say anything, Tyson tapped my shoulder. Other boat is coming. I looked back. The Coast Guard vessel was definitely on our tail now. Its lights were flashing and it was gaining speed. We can't let them catch us, I said. They'll ask too many questions. Keep going, the cheapskate. Chesapeake Bay, Annabeth said. I know a place we can hide. I didn't ask what she meant, or how she knew the area so well. I risked loosening the thermos cap a little more, and the first burst of wind set us rocketing around the northern tip of Virginia Beach into Chi Chesapeake Bay. The Coast Guard boat fell farther and farther behind. We didn't slow down until the shores of the bay narrowed on either side, and I realized it entered the mouth of a river. I could feel the change from salt water to fresh water. Suddenly, I was tired and frazzled like I was coming down off a sugar high. And I didn't know where I was anymore or which way to steer the boat. It was a good thing Annabelle was directing me. There, she said, past the sandbar. We veered into a swamp area choked with marsh grass. I beached the lifeboat at the foot of a giant cypress. Fine-covered trees loomed above us, insects cheered in the woods. The air was muggy and hot, and steam curled off the river. Basically, it wasn't Manhattan, and I didn't like it. Come on, I bet that it's just down the bank. The bank? It's just down the bank. What is, I asked. Just follow. She grabbed a duffel bag, and we'd better cover the boat. We didn't want to draw attention. After burying the lifeboat with branches, Tyson and I followed Annabelle along the shore, our feet sinking in red mud. A snake slithered past my shoe and disappeared into the grass. Not a good place, Tyson said. He swatted the mosquitoes that were forming a bucket line on his arm. After another few minutes after another few minutes
Annabeth said, Here! All I saw was a patch of brambles, and Annabeth moved aside the woven circle of branches, like a door, and I realized I was looking into a camouflage shelter. The inside was big enough for a tree, even with Titan being the turtle. The walls were woven from plant material, like a Native American hut, but they looked pretty wild. Stacked in the corner was everything you could want for a camp out. Sleeping bags, blankets, ice chests, a kerosene lamp. There were demigod provisions too. Uh, bronze javelin tips, a quiver full of arrows, and an extra sword, and a box of ambrosia. The place smelled musty, like it had been vacant for a long time. I have to hide out. I looked at Annabeth in awe. You made this place? Talia and I, she said quietly. And Luke? That shouldn't have bothered me. I mean, I knew Talia and Luke had taken care of Annabeth when she was little. I knew the three of them had been runaways together, hiding from monsters surviving on their own before Grover found them and tried to get them to have her help. But whenever Annabeth talked about it, the time she spent with them, I kind of felt, I don't know, uncomfortable? No, that's not the word. The word was jealous. So I said, you don't think Luke will look for us here? She shook her head. We made a dozen safe houses like this. I doubt Luke even remembers where they are or cares. She threw herself down in the blankets and started going through her duffel bag. Her body language made it pretty clear she didn't want to talk. Um, Tyson, would you mind scouting around outside, like look for a wilderness convenience store or something? Convenience store? Yeah, for snacks. Powdered donuts or something? Just don't go too far. Powdered donuts, Tyson said earnestly. I will look for powdered donuts in the wilderness. He added outside and started calling. Here, donuts! Once he was gone, they sat across from Annabeth. Hey, I'm sorry about, you know, seeing Luke. It's not your fault. She unsheathed her knife and started cleaning the blade with a rag. He let us go too easily, I said. I hope I've been imagining it, but Annabeth nodded. I was thinking the same thing. What we overheard him say about a gamble. They'll take the bait. I think he was talking about us. The fleas is the bait or Grover. She studied the edge of her knife. I don't know, Percy. Maybe he wants a fleece himself. Maybe he's hoping we'll do the, all the hard work. Then he can steal it from us. I just can't believe he would poison the tree. What did he mean? I asked. Natalia would have been on his side. He's wrong. You don't sound sure. Annabeth glared at me, and I was, and I started to wish I had an answer about this while she was holding a knife. Percy, 
You know how you remind me of most? Talia. You guys are so much alike, it's scary. I mean, either of you would have been best friends or would have triangled each other. Let's go with best friends. Talia got angry with her dad sometimes. So do you. Will you turn against Olympus because of that? I stared at the quiver of arrows in the corner. No. Okay then. Neither would she. Luke's. Well. Wrong. And Bet stuck her knife blade into the dirt. I want to ask her about the prophecy. Luke had mentioned and what it had to do with my 60th birthday, but I figured she wasn't she wouldn't tell me. Karen had made it pretty clear that I wasn't allowed to hear it until the gods decided otherwise. So what did Luke mean about Cyclops? I asked. He said you of all people I know what he said. Um he he was talking about the real reason Talia died. I waited, not sure what to say. I bet you was shaky bread. You can never trust a Cyclops. Percy, six years ago, when the Night Grover was leading up to Haplet Hill, uh, she was interrupted when the door of the hot creek opened. Tyson crawled in. Powdered donuts, he said proudly, holding up a pastry box. And Bet stared at him. Where did you get that? We're in the middle of the wilderness. There's nothing around for... Fifty feet, Tyson said. Monster shop, monster donut shop, just over the hill. This is bad, Annabeth muttered. We were crouching behind a tree, peering at the donut shop in the middle of the woods. It looked brand new with brightly lit windows or parking area and a little road leading off into the forest. But there was nothing else around and no cars packed part in the lot. We could see one employee reading a magazine behind a cash register. That was it. On the source markers and huge black letters that even I could read. It said Monster Donut. A carton ogre was saying a bite out of the O in Monster. A place smelled good like fresh baked chocolate donuts. They shouldn't be here. And whispered, it's wrong. What? I asked. It's a donut shop. Shh. Why are we whispering? Tyson went in and bought a dozen. Nothing happened to him. I see. Why are you whispering? Tyson went in and bought a dozen. Nothing's happened to him. He's a monster. Oh, come on, I bet. Monster donut doesn't mean monsters. It's a chain. We've got them in New York. A chain? And you don't think it's strange. It won't appear to me after I told Tyson to get donuts. 
right here in the middle of the woods. I thought about it. It didn't seem a little weird, but I mean, donut shops are in real high middle of sinister forces. It could be a nest, Annabelle explained. Tyson whimpered. I doubt he understood what Annabelle was saying any better than I did, but her tone was making him nervous. He pulled through half a dozen donuts from his box and was getting powdered sugar all over his face. A nest for what? I asked. Haven't you ever wondered how franchise stores pop up so fast? She said, one day there's nothing and then the next day, boom, there's a new burger place or coffee shop or whatever. First, a single store, then two, then four exact replicas spreading across the country. No, um, no, never thought about it. Percy, some of the chains multiply so class because their locations are magically linked to the life force of a monster. Some children, Permies, figure out how to do it back in the 1950s. They breathe. She froze. What? They breathe what? No sudden moves, Annabeth said, like her life depended on it. Very slowly turn around. And I heard it, a scraping noise. Like something large dragging its belly through the leaves. I turned and saw a rhinocytus thing moving through the shadows of the trees. It was hissing. Its front half whirling in all different directions. I couldn't understand what I was seeing at first. Then I realized the thing had multiplied. Then he realized the thing had multiple necks, at least seven, each top with a hissing, hissing reptilian breath. Its skin was glittery, and under each neck it wore a plastic bib that read, I'm a monster donut kid. I took out my ballpoint pen, but Annabelle locked eyes with me, a sad warning. Not yet. I understood. A lot of monsters have terrible eyesight. It was possible the Hydra might pass us by, but if I capped my sword now, the bronze glow would certainly get its attention. We waited. The Hydra was only a few feet away. It seemed to be sniffing the ground and the trees like it was hunting for something. Then I noticed that two of its heads were... Two of the heads were ripping apart a piece of yellow canvas. One of our duffel bags. The thing had already been to our campsite. It was following our scent. My heart pounded. I seen a stuffed hydra-headed trophy at camp before. But that did nothing to prepare me for the real thing. Each head was diamond-shaped like a rattlesnake's. But the mouths were lined with jagged rows of shark-like teeth. Titan was trembling. He stepped back and accidentally snapped a twig. Immediately, all seven heads turned toward us and hissed. Scatter! Annabeth yelled. She dove to the right. I rolled to the left. One of the hider's heads spat an arc of green liquid that shot past my shoulder and splashed against an elm. The trunk smoked and began to disintegrate. The whole tree toppled straight towards Tyson, who still hadn't moved, petrified by the monster that was now right in front of him. Tyson, I tackled him with all my might, 
knocking him aside just as Hydra longed at a tree and crashed on top of its two on top of two of its heads. The Hydra stumbled backwards, yanking its heads free and wailing in outrage at the fall. All the seven heads shot acids, and the hell melted into a steaming pool of muck. Move, I told Tyson. I ran to one side and the cap riptide, hoping to draw the monster's attention. It worked. The sight of celestial bronze is hateful to most monsters. As soon as my glowing blade appeared, the hydra whipped toward it with all its heads, hissing and baring its teeth. The good news, Tyson, was momentarily out of danger. The bad news, I was about to be melted into a puddle of goo. One of the heads snapped at me experimentally. Without thinking, I swung my sword. No, Annabeth yelled, too late. I sliced the hydra's head clean off. It rolled away to the grass, leaving a flailing stump, which immediately stopped bleeding and began to swell like a balloon. In a matter of seconds, the wounded neck split in two necks, each of which grew a full-size head. Now I was looking at an, at an eight-headed hydra. Percy, Annabeth scolded, don't you... You just opened another monster donut shop somewhere. I dodged a spray of acid. I'm about to die and you're worried about that. How do we kill it? Fire! We have to have fire! As soon as she said that, I remembered the story. The hyrus heads would only stop multiplying if we burned the stumps before they were grew. That's what Hercules had done anyway, but we had no fire. I backed up toward the river. The hydra followed. Ambet moved in on my left and tried to distract one on of the heads, firing its teeth with her knife, but another head swung sideways like a club and now turned to the muck. No hitting my friends, Tyson charging, putting himself between the Hydra and Annabeth. As Annabeth got to her feet, Tyson started smashing the monster's heads with his fists so fast it reminded me of fuck a mole game at the arcade, but even Tyson couldn't fend off the Hydra forever. We kept inching backward, dodging acid splashes and deflecting and snapping heads without cutting them off, but I knew we were only postponing our deaths. Eventually, we would make a mistake and the thing would kill us. Then we heard a strange sound, a chug, chug, chug. At first, I thought was my heartbeat. It was so powerful and made the riverbank shake. What's that noise? Annabeth shouted, keeping her head eyes on the hydra. Steam engine, Tyson said. What? I duck as a hydra spat acid over my head. Then from a river behind us, a familiar female voice shouted, Dear, prepare to turn into pounder! I didn't dare look away from the hydra, but if that was who I thought it was behind us, I figured we now had enemies on two fronts. A gravely male voice said, they're too close, and my lady. Damn the heroes! Girl said, "Full steam ahead." I'm my lady. Fire at will, Captain. And Beth understood what was happening. A split second before I did, she yelled, "Hit the dirt!" And we dove from the ground. For the ground is an earth-shattering boom echoed from the river. There's a flash of light. A big column of smoke.
and the hydra exploded right in front of us, showering us with nasty green slime that vaporized as soon as it hit, the way monster gods tend to do. Gross! screamed Manabet. Steamship! yelled Tyson. I stood coughing from the cloud of gunpowder smoke that was rolling across the banks. Chugging toward us down the river was the strangest ship I'd ever seen. It rolled low in the water like a submarine, its deck plated with iron. In the mill was trapezoid-shaped casemates with slats on each side for cannons. A flag waved from the top, a wild boar, a spear on a blood-red field. Lining the deck were zombies in gray uniforms, dead soldiers with shimmering faces that only partially covered their skulls. Like the ghouls I seen in the underworld guarding Hades palace. The ship was ironclad, a Civil War battle cruiser. I could just make out the name along the pro in the moss-covered letters CSS Birmingham. And standing next to the smoking cannon that had almost killed us wearing full Greek battle armor was Clarice. Losers, she sneered, but I suppose they have to rescue you. Come aboard. That was the end of chapter 10. Please stay tuned for chapter 11.